Yeah, come on, church, put our hands together, and let's thank the Lord for all the dads that are here today. Well done, Dad. You've led your family well, and uh, man, we honor you uh, from one to another. It's so grateful to be a part of a church that uh, has so many great men, and I'll just say this. I get a chance through the years to do a lot of premarital stuff. Uh, if you're a young man here, or you're like a, uh, like a uh, intentionally dating individual considering marriage, you're in a great place because there are cheat code, life hacks, seated in the chairs right around you because we have some great men that can show you not how to live a perfect life, but how to live life in a way that is persevering and enduring. And we have the great honor of having some great men right here at New Spring Church. So one more time, let's put our hands together for the men, the dads out there. Well done, dad. Hey, uh, we, we've got a... a, a, a sermon today is our third week of a spiritual warfare series we've been in. If you've got your Bibles, you've already read Ephesians chapter 6. I want to invite you to open it up there. Uh, I'm going to be there if you want to open up your notes. Uh, and while you're kind of getting yourself ready, well done to all the folks that read Ephesians 6. Here at the Anderson campus, we had a father and son do that. And so Charlie crushed that. He did a great job with his dad, Alan. And uh, that was awesome to see. And if you've been a part of uh, this already in the state of South Carolina, we've been having these worship nights down in Charleston on Friday and, and then last night in Columbia. Tonight, it's in the upstate, uh, celebrating Juneteenth. And so I just want to invite you to that. I'm actually going to get to that later in the sermon. And uh, it's been incredible. So if you're in the upstate, or maybe if you want to get in the car and drive after this uh, afternoon, if you want to taste heaven, come and worship tonight as we honor King Jesus in a beautiful way to be an outreach in the culture that we live in and honor him in the midst of it. It's going to be excellent. That's tonight. And we've got food afterwards as well, 6 o'clock in Anderson. So I'll get to that in a bit. Now, let me cover a little bit of ground when it comes to spiritual warfare. Um, spiritual warfare is something that you need to know in the 22 and a half years of our church's existence in terms of the most frequently sought after information on our website. We have actually been able to watch and see what people look for. Why, why do they come and search New Spring Church? And the number one article, topic that folks come and look for wisdom about on our website is around the topic of spiritual warfare. It's something that maybe you've got questions about. It's something that definitely your friends or coworkers or your kids are going to have questions about. And what we want to do in this summer series specifically is we're going to spend some weeks while we're looking at the locker room of New Spring Church. Because on your campus today, these are the folks, by and large, that call New Spring Church their home church. Uh, the, the summertime is the time when people go on vacation and they, they head off to the beach or the lake or the college kids are back home. And so while we've got the locker room of New Spring Church, what we want to do is we want to accomplish what Ephesians 3 says. We want to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And so one of the things that we've got to get over in American culture is we think that we have ministry professionals and then we have everybody else. And that's not true. The Bible says that the pastors are here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And here in just a few minutes, like 35 minutes from now, the church is going to leave the building. And we're going to go out for the rest of the week. And what we want to do is we want to give you the tools that you need so that you've got your questions answered. So that you might be able to teach those friends, those co-workers, those classmates, that roommate in college next year about spiritual warfare. And we've covered a lot of ground the last two weeks, but I had the privilege on week one to talk about spiritual warfare in terms of where it all originated and how it came from the garden, how Lucifer was cast down and how he stole the keys of authority from Adam and Eve by getting them to, to check against the word of God. They fell 
And so one of the things that we've just been talking about that we need to be aware of is according to Scripture, right now in the earth, Lucifer, Satan, is the prince of the power of the air. He is ruling and reigning, listen, ruling and reigning in the earth. And we, we talked about the victory that Christ accomplished at the cross wasn't just to give you and I forgiveness for sins. He did accomplish that, but most Christians don't understand that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just make a way for you and I to be forgiven. He actually took the keys of authority from Satan. And that's why he stands up in the Great Commission after he's risen from the grave and he's looking at his church and he says, all authority has been given to me, Jesus says, and he's now giving it to the church. Therefore, church, go. Go and make disciples of Jesus Christ, baptize them, teach them to obey all that I've taught you. So one of the things that I've just got to look you in the eyes, look at me, and say is, in Jesus you have way more authority than you ever knew. And you as a Christ follower have so much more to do in the earth than just wait till you die to go to heaven. As a matter of fact, all the hell that is breaking out in our world, all the things that are breaking out in our culture, the division and the fights and the vitriol, all the things that ramp up in the political seasons or that ramp up in culture, or that ramp up literal wars, all of those physical realities have a spiritual thing that's behind it. And one of the things that we've got the privilege to do, Christian, is we've got the privilege to walk out in the authority of the Spirit and begin to inaugurate, bring in the kingdom of God. The Bible from beginning to end has one message. Lots of things the Bible talks about, lots of different ways it talks about it, but one message, okay, this is worth writing down. The one message of the Bible is the glory of God through the advancement of his kingdom. That's the, from beginning to end, the Bible is about the glory of God through the redemption and advancement of his kingdom. And so where are we in the story? We're in the process where Christ has now taken back the victory and he has now invited us in being born again of his spirit to advance his kingdom in the earth. And so one of the things that we want to do is we want to equip you in this series to have an everyday relationship with God. That's our vision statement, right? We, we desire to see everyone everywhere in an everyday relationship because we gather here on a Sunday morning that we might scatter Monday through Saturday this week and take that advanced kingdom into the earth. But in order to do that, now we're getting to the point, in order to do that, I've got to teach you today about the secret weapon. Everybody say secret weapon. One, two, three, secret weapon. There is a secret weapon and it's right in plain sight and you will never understand that this is the secret weapon unless you let this word hit you. Okay, I want to teach you about it in just a moment. And in order to do that, I got to tell you a story about a coach. So I'm a big coach person. I love coaches. Outside of my father, my coaches really were probably the men in my life that taught me more about Jesus as I grew up playing sports. Those coaches I spent so much time with, and maybe that was you, or maybe you are a coach and you understand the, the opportunity you have. One of my coaching heroes, actually, if you came to my office, I've got his autograph on a book over in the corner of my office, is a man by the name of John Wooden. Actually, we've got a picture of John Wooden right there. So John Wooden, he's, he's dead and gone and he's with Jesus now, but he is a legendary coach, basketball, college basketball. He coached at UCLA over on the West Coast. And John Wooden, in 12 seasons as the head coach of UCLA, won 10 national championships. Never been done before, probably won't ever be done again. 
He coached guys like Lou Alcindor, who would become Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He coached Bill Walton. He coached all of these legends in basketball. And uh, one of the things that they talk about Coach Wooden for doing is they talk about his first practice that his first practice was famous. And all of the upperclassmen, they knew what his first practice was, but he'd get all of these recruits over there to L.A. to, to, to uh, their, their stadium. They'd come in from all over the country, and they're out there, and they're ready. And he'd get, blow the whistle, get them to center court, and uh, said, all right, guys, it's time to start practice. Y'all follow me. And he would take them to the locker room. They'd get in the locker room. He'd say, sit down real quick, and I want you to take off your shoes. What? I want to teach you how to put on your socks and your shoes is what Coach Wooden would say. And all the freshmen, the upperclassmen, look at each other with a big sly grin on their face. They knew what was going on. But all the freshmen were just confused. Like, Coach Wooden, I know how to put on my socks and shoes. I know how to play this game. I, that's how I got to UCLA. But Coach Wooden would then go on to say, and here's his statement. I want to teach you how to put on your socks and shoes, boys, because the way you do anything is the way you'll do everything. And you've got to learn the fundamentals before we can build and so they would put on their socks and shoes and then he would blow the whistle and say, practice one, over, we're done. And that was their first practice every single year. You see, Coach Wooden knew that the shoes were foundational to the game of basketball. And what I wanna teach you today, what I've learned from the scriptures is that the shoes are foundational to the spiritual warfare that we're stepping into. They are, in fact, our secret weapon. And you might not have heard that your shoes were your secret weapon, but I'm going to show you from the scriptures today. So if you've got your text open, I want to focus in on Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 15. Let's read it together. Let's focus in on it. It says this. Paul writes, he says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I want everybody to look at this. And let's break this down real quick. So we've got to begin by recognizing that in the armor of God, you're going to have something on your feet, and that, that's going to be the thing that makes you ready. But all of that is, listen to me, is built upon whether or not you have received this gospel of peace. You see it? I want you to make sure you see how it works. You receive the gospel of peace. That gospel makes you ready, and now you're ready to go to war. I think it's worth mentioning that Paul was living in the time of the Romans and he was looking more than likely at a Roman soldier as he was breaking down this letter and writing it to the church. But one of the things that perhaps you've never thought about is the Roman military took over the Mediterranean known world because they learned how to stand firm. It was the thing that set their army apart. As a matter of fact, if you've ever played a sport and you've enjoyed cleats on your feet, the Romans had literal cleats as shoes. And they would learn how to stand firm together. And the way they learned to stand firm was the way they ended uh, up being able to take over the world. The shoes on their feet was really their secret weapon. The shoes on our feet, church, are our secret weapon. But in order to see how powerful it is, we've got to break down what is this gospel of peace. Now, as I was praying and working through this message, one of the things that seems so odd to me, this is really beautiful tension, is that Paul writes to the church and says, go to war by putting on peace. Is that funny to anybody else? Like, I want you to go to war. God's calling you to go to war. But as you go to war, you're going to put on peace. And so where do we get this gospel of peace? It's not the gospel of war. It's called the gospel of peace. Well, earlier in Ephesians, just a few chapters earlier, 
Paul actually describes the gospel of peace. I want to make sure I remind you about it today. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Here's the gospel of peace that sets us up for readiness. Paul writes, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, that's all of us, you all have been brought near by what? You've all been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I'll leave this up here for a minute. I need us to see the way this is working. This is the gospel of peace. Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to understand peace and the way that the Bible talks about peace, not the way the world talks about it, go read Ephesians chapter 2. It's the gospel of peace. And this peace is two-parted. And he talks about it right here. The first part is, is that Jesus is our peace with God. One of the things that we covered week one, and I need us to make sure we get this, this is the gospel, is that in our nature, we were born as, listen to me, this is gonna blow your mind, we were born, the Bible says, at enmity with God. We were born as enemies of God. What? Yes. The Bible says because of our sin nature, because we inherit sin from Adam and Eve's first mistakes, it's built into our DNA that we can't even help it, right? And every parent in the room, you know this, right? You got kids and they are cute little sinners, are they not? Nobody had to teach them to pull hair, to bite, to do the things that they do. They are just cute little sinners. And the same is true with you and me. We just get up a little older and we just keep getting to be less cute sinners. And our world is full of less cute sinners. And one of the reasons is we don't understand this, this, this concept. But we have been born into a sin nature. And so that's why Jesus would come and say, we've got to be born again. Yeah, you're with me. We've got to be born again. And when we're born again in Christ, Jesus at the cross, by his blood, we just read it, is the one who brings us into a peace relationship with God. We have a vertical peace that's been extended to us by Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. That's good news. But, now here's the part that many of us don't get. That peace isn't just one-sided in, in one direction. That vertical peace with God also brings us into a horizontal peace with our world. Ephesians 2 talks about that the two men become one. Ephesians 2 talks about that there is a new way to be human. There's a new humanity that God is inaugurating and it's those born again, the family of God. And now, because of the peace that Jesus has accomplished for us, we can live at peace with people that would never be at peace with one another. Now, it's not hard to look around the earth today and see that there are lots of people groups that don't want to be at peace with one another. All right, maybe you're feeling like that in your marriage today. I'm trying to live at peace with this lady, but she ain't trying to live at peace with me, pastor. I'm trying to live at peace with this husband, but he ain't trying to live at peace with me. I'm trying to live at peace with my teenager, but she just is not trying to live at peace with me. We've got just division and animosity and hostility and tension everywhere. I want to show you the secret weapon today. The secret weapon is our peace. The peace of Jesus prepares us to be at peace with others. It actually propels us with the gospel of peace so that we might go out into our world and live like a gospel of peace. So how, how does this work? Well, as I was praying through this, I recognized in my own life, I had been looking at war all wrong. I had been looking at getting ready for war all wrong. I actually, um, 
I've told you guys this before, but I'm, a, I'm all into history. And we just actually celebrated a moment in history um, on June the 6th that we, we really celebrate big time in a free world today. It's, it's June the 6th, is the, it's the anniversary of D-Day. And on D-Day, the Allied forces, they stormed the beaches of Normandy in World War II and all kinds of men poured out onto the beaches of Normandy to to really, it was the turning point of the war with the Nazi Germany um, uh, reign there in, in Europe. And we've got a couple of pictures of it I wanted to show you. And uh, so, you know, I've never fought in the military. Maybe you have. And if you have, thank you for those of you that have. But what we recognize in this moment is that thousands of men gave their lives as they entered into warfare on those beaches of Normandy. And uh, the best I can do, and when I see this and I, and I lean into this, I see Saving Private Ryan. I think Steven Spielberg did a brilliant job of artistry in that movie and that classic with Tom Hanks. And you can imagine being in one of those amphibious vehicles going onto the beaches of France to fight the Germans and hearing the sounds of the bullets ricocheting off the side of your amphibious vehicle and hearing the sounds of the airplanes as they go back and forth fighting and the sounds of the big 50 cows on the beachhead bunkers. And, and then you hear the sound of, your, your leader in your vehicle saying, two minutes, two minutes. And you can feel the tension inside of that vehicle. Steven Spielberg captured this beautifully. You, you had men that would wet themselves. Others would throw up from anxiety. Others are praying, preparing their, 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 their themselves to, to potentially meet their maker. They were ready for war. And that's the way so often I look at getting myself ready for this spiritual warfare. But there's another picture of the war that is so different than this one. It actually happened just a year later after V-Day. And here's a picture of V-Day. This is like the Time Magazine cover photo of V-Day. And uh, maybe you've heard stories about this or seen photos of the ticker tape parades. But basically, once the war was over and surrender, both in Europe and in Japan, had been accomplished, Men and women everywhere around the world flooded into the city streets of New York and London and all over the world. Makeshift confetti as they tore paper and threw it out of the, the towers in these cities. And people just paraded and they laughed. And the, the, the history books actually say that churches filled up and that the bars filled up and that the dance halls filled up. And that, that literally everybody shut down business. And for three days there was just a huge celebration. Singing would break out. And there was even these random kisses that occurred in the middle of city streets between uh, Navy men and, and nurses. Okay, But this is a beautiful picture of what happened when peace occurs. And what I want to offer to us today is that Jesus wants us to put on this right here, the spirit of joy and peace and happiness, that this is the way that we're supposed to walk into war and that we're supposed to be fitted with the gospel of peace as we go to war. Now, I know this sounds so counterintuitive, but this is the way of the kingdom. And by the way, this is the way that Paul writes all through the Bible. As a matter of fact, if you're paying close attention, Paul, every time he writes about peace, all through his letters, he's always making reference to shoes. He's making reference to it in Romans chapter 10. He makes reference to it here in Ephesians 6. But in Romans chapter 16, you're going to see Paul talk about peace and war and shoes all in the same moment. I want you to see it. It's in Romans 16, and we'll read verse 20. Look what Paul writes there to the church in Rome. 
He tells the church there that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Your feet and mine. I want you to see this, that there's a God of peace, there's a God of shalom, but that this God of peace is going to crush the enemy under your feet. Can I look at you in the eyes and tell you something? Peace, friend, peace is your secret weapon. Peace is your superpower. Peace is the way that the church is going to advance the kingdom. Peace with God and peace with others. And where did Paul get this, where did Paul get this image? He got this image from a, a prophetic um, passage in Isaiah 52. This is where he gets this. In Isaiah 52, Paul is drawing on this picture of Old Testament prophecy when he talks about peace. It's the image of a certain moment in a war. And I want you to see it so you can kind of get what's going on here. But Paul is pulling from Isaiah 52, pick it up in verse 7. Here's what the prophet was writing. The prophet writes about how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, of him who brings the gospel, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says literally to Zion, the city, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up now their voices. Together they begin to sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord. They see the return of the, the king. They see the return of the Lord to Zion. And they break forth together into singing. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm. Now, this is a point worth talking about on Father's Day. This is God flexing. I don't know if your dads have ever done this or your granddads have ever said, come, come feel my muscle. You, you know, eat your vegetables you'll have muscles like this. Look, God did it right here. He did it first. He said, the Lord has bared his holy arm. Before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Okay, now what does this have to do with where we are right now? Well, here's the deal. This is the image of the way warfare was done back in the day. And back in the day, the city would be fighting. There would be a fight out there and the, the watchmen would be up on the towers and they would be looking for news from the front lines of battle. And so they're watching. Have we lost? Do we need to prepare our, our troops here at the city, or, or, or have we won? And the watchman sees the runners. And this is the way back in the day they used to do this. The marathoners would come from the battle lines. And the marathoners, as they're running on the mountaintops to the city, they don't wait till they get right there at the city gates to share the news. They're so excited that the watchmen can hear what they're saying. And did you hear what the Bible said they're saying? They're shouting, peace, peace, good news, we've won salvation, happiness, our king reigns, the Lord is winning. And that this encourages the watchmen on the towers that they turn to the other watchmen on the corners of the towers. Peace, peace, we've won, the king won, hooray. And that the people down in the city, those that have been living with fear and anxiety and the unknown, maybe their water supplies or their food supplies have been cut out. They're down in the city living in kind of the darkness and the heaviness of that, all of a sudden they come out from the city and they start dancing and singing. Can you see? Everybody puts their arms together and they begin to sing. You know, I don't know what kind of songs they're singing. We've won, but they're singing and shouting. Okay, slow down. Let me look at you. This is the way that the people of God are called 
by the gospel to put on peace, a peace that makes us do three things. You ready for it? It makes us go, it makes us speak, it makes us sing. The gospel good news, if you really understand it, is going to naturally bubble up in you and cause you to go into the earth and to share. I've got good news. Peace, there's salvation, there's happiness. Our king reigns. I know there's war, but I'm going and I'm speaking. And when people hear it, they don't just share it with themselves. They lock arms with one another and they sing to the king. Now, if you want to see a picture of this um, on all of our campuses, I want you just to look around. Look around your auditorium. Those, maybe you're watching online, you can just look at me, okay? You're at the beach with your fam. What happens on a Sunday morning is a picture of this. It's the people of God who've come out from their work, who've come out from their school, who've come out from doing whatever they're doing, and they come together on a Sunday morning from all different backgrounds, not just in the 14 campuses of New Spring Church, but all over the world, and they lock arms and they begin to share with one another the good news of Jesus and sing like we just did for the last 30 minutes. Sing about the good news and get encouraged so that we walk out of here when the church leaves the building and now we're not the people singing in the streets, now we're the marathon runners to run into the city, to run into our schools, to run into our offices and our cul-de-sacs and our apartment complexes and we're supposed to live lives with the secret weapon on our feet, the secret weapon that there is a peace that can be given to us by God and a peace that can be given to us and we can extend to the world around us. That is the picture of what it looks like to put on the gospel of peace. Now, I've preached a whole lot right there. But I want to ask right now this question. The gospel, has it gotten to your head? Have you heard it? And if you have... Because the gospel has to get into our head. It has to start there. Has the gospel gotten to your heart? Because it's got to make that 18-inch journey to your heart to consume all of your life. But the real important question today that I want to ask is I want to ask this. Has the gospel gotten to your shoes? Because if the gospel is going to be the secret weapon that the Lord's intended it to be, it's got to make its way down all the way to your shoes. I want everybody on every campus to look at your feet real quick. Look at those shoes. Maybe you wear them to work tomorrow. Maybe you, maybe you wear them to, to the beach. Maybe, I don't know. You're wearing sandals today, right? Flip-flops. Maybe, maybe wherever you take your shoes, that's where the gospel of peace is supposed to go. The Lord wants you to be equipped with the gospel of peace. Now, I'm going to try to preach the rest of the sermon with one shoe on and one shoe off, okay? It'll be fun. But the gospel has to get to your shoes. So how does that happen? Well, I want to give you a practical way to allow that to happen, okay? On all of our walls at all of our campuses, we talk about our five family values as a church. They ballast and inform us, and one of those is the value of pursuing uncommon unity. Uh, and pursuing uncommon unity, we, we talk about it. We talk about that, that Jesus pursued us, and so we too, we're going to pursue the world around us. We've recognized the gospel of peace, and we're going to carry peace into our world. And here's the way we talk about pursuing uncommon unity. I want you to Write this down, okay? It's going to be helpful. But when we talk about pursuing a common unity, we are inviting everyone, everywhere, into first peace with God that leads to peace with one another. 
Okay, that's what the Bible talks about. It, it declares that this is what Jesus did for us. He pursued us. He gave us at the cross peace with God. And he's extending to us the invitation to walk in peace with God so that we might carry peace with one another. Now, I've got to ask a question, and this is going to be a volatile question. It's going to split our church in two, okay? Uh, there's no middle ground here. I'm not, this is not rhetorical. I need to know where you are in the room. Where are my people that love mayonnaise up in here? Show me your hands. Mayonnaise people on all of our campuses. Okay, all right. Now, where are my people that cannot stand mayonnaise? I've got two hands up. I can't stand it, y'all. Um, you know, I remember mom always taking us to get something to eat, and if they put mayonnaise on it, I, she'd just say, just scrape it off. Kid, just scrape off mayonnaise. It gets all up in everything. Okay. All right, so I need to teach you about mayonnaise if you're really going to understand this. Okay, I know that makes no sense, but it's about to. So do you know what mayonnaise is? My kids like these cooking shows on Netflix. Mayonnaise is simply the combination of two things that typically don't hang out. Do you know what those two things are? Oil and water. And if you put oil and water in the same thing, what happens, church? They, go, they, they separate, right? They go apart. So like Italian dressing, what do you do for, for before you put your Italian dressing on, at Olive Garden on your salad? You got to do what everybody's doing. It. Shake it up. You got to shake it up. And it's, it goes together for a, just a minute. But then what happens when you sit it back down or put it in the fridge? What, it separates. Did you know that the only way to get oil and water to mix is you've got to introduce an emulsifier? I know that's a scientific word, but that's what mayonnaise is. Mayonnaise is simply Oil and water introduced to one awesome ingredient, egg whites. And when you introduce oil and you introduce water to egg whites, everybody hangs out. And that's how you get mayonnaise. All right, so here's the deal. This is so practical. My goodness, it's so practical. In our world today, when you leave this church and the church hits the streets or you hit your social media timeline or you go back to school in the fall or you go back to your job, everybody is talking about peace. Everybody wants world peace. Everybody wants to figure out how do we get peace between this group and that group? How do we get peace between this country and that group? How, right now, one of the moments in our life where there's been so much cultural upheaval where everybody's at each other's necks and everybody wants to offer solutions for peace. And I just want to tell you, this is not me speaking ill. You will never have peace until you introduce Jesus Christ into the equation. You see, Jesus Christ is the emulsifier. His gospel brings us into peace with God, and it informs us why we would be at peace with other people. That means that there's going to be people, because you're a follower of Jesus, that you hang out with, or that you love on, or that you serve, that do not pull for the same football team you pull for. It's amazing. Every week in New Spring Church, I see all of y'all wearing your banners as you come in, right? Come fall, the big weekend, somebody's going to win, and you're going to wear your Georgia stuff to church. You know, you wear smiling, coming in with your dogs, arf, 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 you know, doing your thing, you know, all right? Or, or you know, some of y'all are real fans too. Your team takes one on the chin, you take an L, and you're like, I'm a real fan. I'm going to wear them for better or worse. I'm, I'm wearing that Gamecock jersey. <laughs> We love Coach Beamer. I'm just playing with y'all. Y'all know what I mean, though. People wear their teams. How in the world are you going to have a church with Gamecocks and Bulldogs and Tigers? You know how? The gospel. It's the only way. Now, wait a minute. How are you going to have a church with older people and younger people? Now, I don't know if y'all know this, but there are a lot of churches that are either got full of older people or full of younger people. They don't hang out. Maybe you came from one of those places or you know about one. 
You know how you do it? You got to introduce the gospel. It's the only way to have everybody hang out. Now, this one's going to really blow your mind. How in South Carolina are you going to have a church that doesn't look like the segregation of pre-1960? You know how you do it? You got to introduce the gospel because it's the way we're all going to hang out. Okay, this is practical every day, and I need you to catch this. It's the secret weapon. But you know what? Many of us Christians, we've been operating like my kids. You know what my kids do? My baby and I, we're going to go out to eat. We're going to take the family out to eat. We're getting the kids ready. Yesterday we had to go to a, we had to go to a wedding. Kids are going to be ready for a wedding. We don't want to be late for a wedding. Here we go. We're going to go to a wedding. Everybody ready? Everybody ready? Everybody ready? We all get to the front door, and you know what my kids don't have? Their shoes. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. Every single time, where are your shoes, son? Where, Daddy, I don't know. I asked the sisters, where are his shoes? I think one's, a, one's in mom's car and the dog's got the other one over where the dog is. What are we doing? You know, and this is the way that many of us, if we're honest, this is the way we go out of the church. We don't have our shoes on. We're walking around barefoot. And all those weapons we got, they're not going to do us any good if we're not carrying peace on our feet. And so I'm here today to inform you that Jesus Christ died on that cross for you. And that he bought for you peace. And he bought for you peace that can allow you to sit beside somebody that's not like you. Allow you to be a part of a church with somebody that didn't grow up on the same side of the street you did. But it's a beautiful thing because heaven is going to be full of people that have peace with God and peace with one another. That's the destiny we're all in. And I want you to know that your company's email about the way we're going to do diversity ain't got the solution. If they're not talking about Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter who you vote into the White House, who's at the governor, governor mansion, who, what you got going on in your school. You can implement and try to, moral, moral stuff is just not gonna be ultimately legislated. It's gonna be shown through love. It's the secret weapon of the church. It's the way that Jews started hanging out with Gentiles in the first century. It's what the whole gospel's about. It's the way that Jews and Gentiles welcomed in those Samaritans it's the way that Jewish people welcomed in Roman soldiers that had been keeping them in oppression for all those years. They welcomed in Cornelius and his family and said, you're a part of the family of God. The New Testament is full of men and women. They're not swallowing some kind of political garbage. They have bought and believed the gospel that didn't just make their way from their head to their heart. It got all the way to their shoes. And it's the secret weapon of the church. And I want you to find your shoes today. I want you to get dressed tomorrow morning. So here's some practical steps. Pursuing uncommon unity, here's three things to try this week, okay? You wanna do this, you're in, you say, Pastor, I'm with you. How do we do it, how do we do it? Number one, I wanna encourage you to find a way to honor everybody. Honor everybody. Yeah, but that family, they're, 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 not, they're not Christian family. They're like, they're like an Islamic family. They moved into the neighborhood. What if you honored them? and carried the gospel of peace into your neighborhood? What, what if you honored the, the person that you know pulls for that ball team you don't pull for? I mean, I don't, I don't hang out with people that pull for dogs or people that pull for tigers. That's not what I, what if you did? What if you, I know, I know that this is crazy, but I, this is, Jesus did not give us the gospel of peace to live in some fantasy land of one day. He, he's given it to us so that we might be able to walk in it today. Have you ever been frustrated and wondered why we have so much church and so little change? All the churches and all the elders and all the deacons and all the services and all the worship, I think it's a lot of us are kids of God and we haven't put on our shoes. 
and we don't walk in the gospel of peace. We're going to find a way to honor everyone. Wait a minute, their sexual ethic is completely different than mine. Honor them. Honor them. Number two, we're going to find a way to pursue relationships with people that aren't like us. Like, I don't know what that means to you, but what if you just found a way? Don't you realize that's exactly what Jesus Christ did? He left heaven, came to earth, and he was famous for hanging out with people that weren't like him. He's a friend of who? He was called a friend of sinners. Oh my gosh, that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Hang out. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. Matthew, his name was Levi, he's a tax collector. He's got prostitutes around him. Man, that's, that's who we are, Christian. You're not supposed to sleep with the prostitutes, but you can be a friend with them, amen? Pursue relationships with people who aren't like you. And number three, we've got to start walking in forgiveness. It's a superpower. Forgiveness is the currency of the kingdom. 100% of the people that will be in heaven one day are all of them forgiven. And 100% of the people that will be in the eternal hell one day are 100% not forgiven. And when you and I choose to extend forgiveness, we are literally bringing heaven to earth. And when you and I hold unforgiveness, we're literally bringing the division and the brokenness and the pain of hell to earth. We've got to be quick to ask for forgiveness when we make mistakes. And we all need it, don't we? We all need forgiveness when we've blown it. But we've also got to be a people that's quick to say, I forgive you. I forgive you because Jesus forgave me. This is how we're going to do it. This is the way that Jesus laid it out. This is not the idea of New Spring Church. This is the idea of your Lord and your Savior. Don't just let the gospel inform your vertical relationship. It's got to get shoes on so that you walk out and you carry the secret weapon of peace into your school, into your subdivision, into your apartment complex. And please, 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 we've got to walk in peace here at the church. Amen? So tonight, let me just put this in a real practical space. Tonight, if you want to know why in the world does New Spring Church celebrate Juneteenth, why would we do that? Because it's a cultural way that we can say there's a kingdom of peace and we're all a part of it. And as long as in our society people were not free, then we see the new kingdom coming when they were declared free. And now we celebrate and worship in that snapshot of Revelation 7-9 of eternity with every tribe, every nation, and every tongue standing before the throne worshiping God. It's a picture of heaven. And so do you know what these worship gatherings have been? Pictures of heaven. If you want to taste heaven and you're in the upstate, I want to tell you to get in your car and be here tonight. It will bless you. And don't you understand that this is the witness to the world. It's the witness to the world. It's powerful witness. I want to tell you a story to close. So we, I've got a friend. He's 76 years old. And he's a military veteran. He was a captain in the Israeli Defense Force. He follows King Jesus. But he was raised as a Jewish messianic man. And so most of the folks that he was with in military fighting in the Six Days War didn't know Jesus and didn't know the peace of God. They had not yet met him. And he was telling us a story about being out on the front lines of battle during the Six Days War. And a lot of the story he told was a lot like that D-Day photo. Men were scared to death. They were fighting. There was real death around them. And he said one of the things that continued to happen while he was on the front lines is he was a captain in the military and his men would come to him over to the side and they would say, Captain, how are you sleeping? And he would say, because I've got the peace of Yeshua. I've got the peace of Jesus. 
I know, I know that we might not know what's going to happen tomorrow, but my, my outcome in eternity, is, it's, it's established. And then he would get to share with them the gospel of Christ. You see, having the peace of God is an apologetic in a world that's trying to kill its, each other. And when we walk out into our communities or into our social media timelines or into the, the upheaval of every election cycle, and we don't fight the war like everybody else, we carry the gospel of the peace of Jesus. It's an apologetic. And you're going to have people over to the side going, hey, sir, I, I, know, I know what you think politically, but why do you act like that? Why do you carry yourself with, you're different. You're, you're carrying, why do you smile and laugh? And why are you singing in the streets and kissing your wife like that sailor and nurse on the photo? And you're not like looking like the scared guys in the, in the D-Day vehicles. The difference is peace. It's the secret weapon, individually and collectively. And this is supposed to look like a picture of the kingdom that's coming. Our church, every Sunday morning, every Sunday at 9 and 11, as we, we are supposed to look like and put salt on the earth's hunger for, I want to be a part of a family like that. I want to be a part of a kingdom like that. And if we're going to do it, we've got to learn how to put on peace. So could you stand to your feet? I want to pray for us. That tomorrow morning when you put on your shoes, that you put on peace. That when you go back to school, you put on peace. And let's continue to go and tell and sing about the good news of our Lord. Would you pray with me, church? Father God, every one of us, we're living in a war. And it's real. And God, every one of us feels the, the reality of it in our, in our homes. Over the last several months, we've felt it in American culture. But Lord, you've prepared us to not be scared. You've prepared us with joy. You've prepared us with happiness. You've prepared us with that picture of the, the one who's publishing. There's peace. And so would you remind us, God, as we leave today, as the church leaves the building, that we're called to carry this gospel that doesn't just impact our relationship with you, but it impacts the brokenness in our world, the hostility in our world, that, that makes a new man, a unified man, that there's a new way to be human because there's a new kingdom and you are going to everyone everywhere to bring us all into a relationship with you. And so, Lord, would you show us how we can honor others? Show us how we can pursue relationships with those that aren't like us. And, God, if there's anywhere we need to extend forgiveness or ask for forgiveness, would you show us how to do that as we literally bring heaven to earth instead of bringing hell to our worlds? Lord, I ask all this in your King Jesus' name. And we say together. Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand?